This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law. Space, the final frontier. These are the voyages of the Starship Enterprise. It's continuing mission to explore strange new worlds. And we're back for another episode. Hello, everybody. Hi, how are you? It is Jordan Hoffman, and I am the host. Of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast, and we're back a little bit exhausted. It's late Sunday night, late Sunday night because it was Comic Con weekend, and this is a special edition, special edition episode, Comic Con episode, and uh, we're bringing you something great. As you probably know, a major announcement happened out of Comic Con. A number of major announcements happened, but the big one was we have a name for the new show launching next January on CBS All Access. It is called Star Trek Discovery, and that is the name of the ship, the USS Discovery. And uh, there is a clip floating around on the internet. Uh, you can get it on StarTrek.com of uh, a, a very hastily put together CGI rendering of the ship leaving some sort of asteroid dock. It looks pretty wild. Um, this, the, the CGI looks kind of quick. I'll give you that. Uh, but the design, I think, looks really cool. It's based on one of Ralph McQuarrie's old designs that he was going to do for the um, uh, project uh, Star Trek, um, the Planet of the Titans, which got nixed. Um, but it's a wild design. And that's all we know about the show, the title and what the ship looks like. There's a lot of guesswork flying around the Internet None of it has been confirmed. And you know what? I don't know it either. I know someone who knows. This is what killed me. I could speak to somebody who knows. But for right now, I choose to remain uh, ignorant. I don't know how much longer I can last. <laughs> and he's listening, too. And if you're a longtime listener of this podcast, you'd probably know who I'm talking about. But uh, I can't... Uh, I, for now, I don't know anything other than what you know. So that's exciting. Okay. Uh, but what also was exciting is that we, we're doing something unprecedented here on Engage this week. Now, it was the Comic-Con weekend. And the great thing about Comic-Con is that... Um, for people who go and for people who wait online and for people who go to Hall H, they get to experience something that really can't be exported out of the room. They don't release video of the panels. That's always been a no-no with Comic-Con. But they never said anything about releasing audio. <laughs> and when CBS is, uh, is putting on the show, as they did with the 50th anniversary 
uh, panel for Star Trek. And when your podcast is uh, is run by Play.it, which is a division of and a division of, uh, eventually you get the right guy on the phone and you wind up playing the tape. <laughs> so until a lawyer tells us to delete this episode, we've got something unprecedented for you. We smuggled in... Um, the uh the complete audio we've got the full panel here this is this is big news actually because this never happens we have the complete audio of the full hour panel brian fuller moderating with the following guests uh scott bacula brent spiner michael dorn jerry ryan william shatner and uh you're gonna listen to it all and uh it's gonna be great because uh, i already heard it so i know it's great um just a few words about Hall H and San Diego Comic-Con. If you've been to comic conventions but never gone to San Diego, it is everything you've heard about. It's, it's wonderful. It's exciting. This Just everything is, is, is magic in the air, but it's really crowded and really hot. And everybody's pushing each other and shoving and waiting on very, very long lines. It kind of smells. Everything smells like a mixture of a boiled hot dog and sweat. It's kind of gross. But for people who want to be in Hall H, which is the big room, 6,500 seats, more seats than at Radio City Music Hall, you kind of go in in the morning and you stay all day. Because what they do is they they put the big panel in at night that everybody wants to go to, but you got to get there in the morning. So um, the Star Trek panel was a few hours before the big Marvel panel where they showed new footage of Spider-Man and Guardians of the Galaxy 2 and all this cool stuff. So, um, you know, it was hard ticket to get in for the Trek panel. Then you had the Marvel panel. You had Warner Brothers beforehand with Wonder Woman and all that. It was a big, big, big day. So people waited all waited uh, all night the night before. They camped out. And Brian Fuller, uh, who is uh, a great man and a humanitarian, brought donuts to people online. You could see it on the internet. So it's pretty cool. Um, so the, the shtick in Hall H is uh, it's really crowded, and uh, but the fans are going nuts. But what I want to point out about this audio is I do want to explain something. The audio that we're going to get was straight out of the soundboard. So even though you do hear some fan reaction, you only hear fan reaction when people are going really crazy, when Shatner says something really funny, when Jerry Ryan says something really funny. Um, there is a lot of audience interaction Otherwise, because uh, there's a little bit of dead air periodically from the dais, and I don't want you to think that like there was uh, that there was like awkward silences or something like that. That's just the way this particular audio sounds. Um, there isn't a lot of uh, give and take with the audience, but trust me, having been in there, every joke does have that have that uh, sort of participation with the audience. Um, I do want to mention though that were some other really cool things that came out of San Diego Comic Con this weekend. Before we get to the tape. Of um, I keep saying tape. It's really a file. I'm such an old man. The tape, the reel to reel, the file of the of the audio. But there were some other really cool things that came out of San Diego. Um, IDW Comics, who I love to pieces. Uh, they they you know were promoting the new stuff they're going to be doing. Uh, Star Trek Waypoint and um, uh, Boldly Go, which is going to be their their post Star Trek Beyond uh, open ended run. Um, they also announced that there is going to be a part two of last year's very entertaining and very successful crossover between Star Trek and Green Lantern. You know, if you read the first one, and I hope you did, it was really cool. Uh, Kirk and uh, Hal Jordan were chums, and um, and why not? So let's see what happens next. I hope that Isamat Cole and a Gorn, you know, Hang out. I want to see some 
multiverse uh, lizard action. So that's one thing. Um, the other thing was, if you've been following the story of the 50 Artists, 50 Years um, event that's happened, there, there was, uh, if you don't know, celebrating the 50th anniversary of Star Trek, uh, 50 different artists were commissioned to do illustrations or paintings, or in some cases, sculptures, uh, celebrating their love of Star Trek in some way. And this was uh, unleashed, um, finally, there have been teases of it online, but there was a gallery show, and it went over like gangbusters. You should check out online, either on Facebook or on Twitter or on Instagram. The official hashtag is, come on now, the official hashtag is, oh wait, here it is, here it is. The official hashtag is Star Trek 50 art, and the 50 is 5-0. Check that out. They look really cool. Or you can go to StarTrek.com slash art underscore exhibition, and you can see these images. They're really cool. There's a book coming out soon, and this show is traveling. It's going to Vegas very soon, uh, where I'm going to be very soon for the uh, Star Trek convention. And it's going to be in New York after that, and it's going to be elsewhere. So check that out. Then the other thing that was announced, and this was news uh, to people, and, and you really, if you didn't hear about this yet, you're going to be really excited. They have announced something, a DVD slash Blu-ray of the Roddenberry Vault. What is the Roddenberry Vault, you say? Well, to do it very briefly, um, these are basically, <laughs> for those of us that are hardcore fans of the original series, we know every, it's chapter and verse, we know every line, every inflection, every reaction shot. Imagine stepping into an alternate timeline where you can see uh, the episode you love, you can watch uh, Space Seed, but see an alternate take from Ricardo Montalban. Or you can watch Devil in the Dark and hear Spock shout the pain in a different way. I'm not saying that's definitely what's on there, but what they found, uh, and how they found it is a whole story, but uh, there are alternate takes, slightly different versions, slightly longer versions, extended scenes of 12 classic episodes, and they have been put together in high definition uh, for this Blu-ray. It's kind of like hearing your favorite rock song that you have memorized, but there's a different guitar fill. Um, and it's gonna be fascinating to watch for, for sincere fans that really love the original series and know it by heart. The Blu-ray also has other material on it, interviews with people such as, well, I have it right in front of me, with William Shatner, we've heard of that guy, DC Fontana, David Gerald, John D.F. Black, and others. And what are the 12 episodes? I'll let you know. And they're, each one's better than the last. Uh, Corbin Might Maneuver, which right there is all you need. Arena, which right there is all you need. Space Seed, This Side of Paradise, Devil in the Dark, City on the Edge of Forever. How about that? Operation Annihilate, Metamorphosis, Who Mourns for Adonais, Mirror, Frickin' Mirror, Trouble with Trivels, and Return to Tomorrow. So those are the 12. And I don't know to what extent each one has different stuff, but we're going to find out. And, uh, you know, some of it is just is literally just a different line reading, and some of it is a whole scene that we've never seen before. So it's going to be wild. It's going to be wild. So, <clears throat> excuse me. Those are the other things that were announced in San Diego this weekend. But the big deal was seeing the, um, the new ship from Discovery. But before that, there was an hour of chat with these great people from Star Trek. So you know what? I'm just going to shut up and get out of the way. But I'm going to let um, Brian Fuller just, I'm going to let you, I'm going to let his love of Star Trek just delight you. Because here is a guy 
who really, really knows his stuff and loves it and gets what I think is the true spirit of Star Trek. And I'm going to let him talk because he is far more eloquent on the subject than I. We'll be back in a few minutes and we'll, uh, we'll go from there. to play it a new podcast network featuring radio and tv personalities talking business sports tech entertainment and more play it at play.it this is engage Engage. the official star trek podcast hello i am brian fuller i am the executive producer of cbs all accesses new Star Trek series premiering in January 2017. I can't tell you what an honor it is to be standing up here today with this panel that you're about to be introduced to, representatives from all of the Star Trek series that have come and are staying in our hearts. I, uh, I didn't want to be a writer. I wanted to be a Star Trek writer. And so being here today is really a dream come true. I uh, want to remind the audience what was happening 51 years ago today. 51 years ago today, the second pilot of Star Trek was on its fifth day of production. And on that day, I am told, a swarm of bees made it into Desilu and stung William Shatner. I like to think that was a blessing from the bees that gave Star Trek its everlasting longevity. 50 years, 50 years of a promise of planet Earth uniting all of its citizens under one flag as a species going out into the galaxy. Just take a moment and think about that. 250 years into the future, think about where we are today. Think about what's happening in America and think about the promise of Star Trek and what we can all do to get there. I actually, I lied. I'm not Brian Fuller. I am Scott Bakula. I have quantum leaped into the body of Brian Fuller, and I am up here today to talk about some of my favorite performances that I've done. This proves nothing. This proves nothing. Scott Bakula, 97 different ways to sell, oh boy. For five seasons, he traveled through space and time on Quantum Leap. He was on Men of a Certain Age. He played opposite Matt Damon in The Informant. He is currently on CBS NCIS New Orleans. And one of my favorite performances of mine, since I'm Scott Bakula, was recently in HBO's Looking. Welcome, Scott Bakula. Our next guest is somebody that I have worked with directly. I feel like Jerry and I are in the same class of Star Trek. We started in the same season, season four of Star Trek Voyager. This lady is 
every bit the wonderful Wonder Woman that you all believe she is. She is a dynamic mother. She is a dynamic chef. She is a dynamic actress. Please welcome Jerry Ryan. No one character has appeared in more Star Trek series than the mighty son of Moog, Lieutenant Commander Worf. You may look to the skies and see him flying through it as an accomplished pilot, but I love that Mr. Michael Dorn is my favorite vegan. Please welcome <laughs> Michael Dorn. More human than human. Lieutenant Commander Data. He made us laugh, he made us cry, he made us feel even when he couldn't, except when he had his emotion chip activated. Please welcome Brent Spiner. <laughs> A success like Star Trek has many, many people behind it, but our eyes into this universe belong to one man. And there is no introduction for Mr. William Shatner. We know who he is. We love who he is. Please welcome William Shatner to the stage. Thank you very much. Star Trek. How exciting to have representatives from all four <laughs> series. We're double dipping with Michael Dorn a bit because he's been in Next Generation and Deep Space Nine. But to be up here with these fine folks, it really makes me want to take America and get us to the place that Gene Roddenberry imagined for the future. And these folks are the faces of the future. They represented a future for all of us that we've seen for 50 years in Star Trek and Star Trek storytelling. One of the things that I love about Star Trek is the mythology and the mythology building. It's such an intricate web that Gene Roddenberry created that it's very exciting for me to ask William Shatner, how important is Star Trek canon? How important is the mythology to you? The canon, uh, well, when you load it with a, a ball and you put a... <laughs> uh, the canon, you mean all the things that we have heard that Star Trek does, non-interference, that kind of... Yes. How important is it? It's essential. It is the basis of law and order. It's the basis of civilization. It is. So, in canon... If we were to undo Kirk's death, I'm just asking for scientific purposes. If we were to undo Kirk's death... Undo Kirk's death. 
If it didn't happen, say in a magical world and it didn't happen, yes. wouldn't it be wonderful to continue telling stories about Captain Kirk with you in that role? Hell yes! You heard it from the man, hell yes! So, Brent, one of the, the greatest episodes and the earliest episodes of The Next Generation was Measure of a Man. It was all about human and individual rights. And identity is such a fantastic aspect of Data's character. And we're in a place now in the country where identity is under attack, where, where individual rights are under attack. What do you think Lieutenant Commander Data would feel about where we are now and how can we get to where we need to go? Uh, well, I think... Uh First, could you ask Bill to stop looking at me? <laughs> oh, oh, there, there. Right. Uh, uh, you know, <laughs> absolutely, Brian. It's a, it's a, um, it's such a big subject. I, I, I really wish I, I could. Can you all leave? Yeah. And I can just, uh, yeah. Uh, no, but uh, I think Star Trek. Uh, in general, has been about individual rights and has been about um, you. Uh, <laughs> yes, me. Uh, no, about uh, respecting everyone, uh, no matter who or what they are. And uh, we're living in a world right now where that sort of respect is is being challenged, uh, not just all over the world, but in our country too. And it's disturbing, and I think um, a lot of our politicians and a lot of our um, fellow citizens could take a page from Star Trek at this point and have a bit more respect for, for humanity, for all of us. Jerry, as, a, as Seven of Nine, you struggled with, with your own identity and identity issues and, and issues of individualism. Anything you'd like to add to that? Well, I absolutely think... I, I agree with everything you just said, but I think, I will say one thing for the Borg, <laughs> villains though they may be, they absolutely respected every species and, I mean, you know, assimilated and took the best of aspect of every species, but um, they certainly weren't exclusionary. They were um, not. And, you know, Seven was put in a unique situation, a unique position because her personal choice and rights were taken away from her not once but twice. They were taken away when she was assimilated by the Borg as a child. And then they were taken away again by Captain Janeway when she was forcibly separated from the Borg, which was another decision that was made for her that she didn't choose. So um, I think Seven sort of experienced that and, and, and struggled with that on, on a very personal level. Individuality is very important for all of us, and it must be celebrated whenever we can celebrate it. Absolutely. Yes. Michael. Boy, you've done a lot of Star Trek. <laughs> a lot of wonderful Star Trek. And one of the wonderful things about the original series is seeing a bridge crew that united so many different types of people on the Enterprise. With The Next Generation, we had seen... Worf, as a Klingon, introduced to a Starfleet bridge. He was the first of his kind. 
Star Trek is about celebrating diversity. It's infinite diversity and infinite combinations. How does it feel to be the first Klingon in Starfleet, and what can you say about the importance of, of diversity in our teams that we build today? Well, you know, it, it was, um, it was uh, um, an honor because I was a, a fan of the original show, and, I, and you know, my brother and I watched it, and we loved the Klingons, and we thought they were you know, great characters. And I thought that um, uh, I didn't really put that much thought into um, what it meant, but I did know that um, the thought that Gene Roddenberry had was that he wanted to show... Um, that we have moved on, that the characters have evolved, that things are different, they're not the way it, the way it was before. And part of that is, is part of our country. You know, I mean, at the time uh, before that, the, um, you know, the Berlin Wall came down and the Russians weren't our enemies anymore and people were caught by surprise. And so I thought that along with you know, being a great character that you know, I, was, I was handed was that he represented um, what the starship, you know, the, the, you're going out in space and we all respect each other, but there's a lot of guys that don't like Klingon still. And so there was still that bit of, well, we accept all races except Klingons, you know? And so it gave everybody, I like to think it gave everybody a chance to, for the character to look at the start, the, uh, the crew and the crew to look at him and become very close, as they did over the years, which was, which was really great. I mean, they learned a lot about each other, and uh, it was one of the wonderful things about playing the character from Next Generation and Deep Space was that the, the guy could grow, and he really changed over the years, especially in Deep Space. He really became a, a, a more than a two-dimensional or three-dimensional character. So it was, it was fantastic. And the heritage and the culture of the Klingons was fascinating. And so much today, we're afraid of people who are so different than us. Mm -hmm. And it feels like a great statement that Gene Roddenberry was always trying to make with how we need, first and foremost, to get along as a species. Well, you know, it, interestingly enough, the, um, at, from the original series, the guys were just kind of wild and running around like crazy. And with um, the Undiscovered Country, which... Um, really showed them in a very Shakespearean way. I mean, they quoted Shakespeare, and they were very eloquent. And the thing with, with people ask me all the time is that, you know, did you have a lot to do with the writing? And I said, not at all. I mean, I originated the character, but the writers took it off into this, to this world where the, the Klingons were this rich culture that we thought were one-dimensional, one just wanted to kill, just wanted to conquer. And they're not. And that is a good lesson for, for our times. I mean, we look at people from different worlds uh, from a window of one dimension, you know. And if you go in there, I love this, this line from uh, Sting where he says, you know, the Russians love their kids as much as we do. And that is really important. I mean, these are, uh, if you have a chance, you, uh, people are just not one dimensional. Well, you, you said something very interesting because I remember the episode where Picard was being tortured by the Cardassians, and the Cardassians said about humans, 
they don't love their children like we love our children. And it's so easy to alienate something that is different than us. And it's something, it's a trap that we all fall into. Mm-hmm. And it's a, Star Trek is a, a warning to us about how we can be one. Mm-hmm. And that's the most beautiful message of Star Trek. Captain Archer, Mr. Scott Bakula, the first in the timeline to captain the Enterprise. And we know that starships are not built with cynicism. They're not built with fear-based hate. They're built with science. And one of the most beautiful things about science is that scientists know they have to collaborate. Scientists know they know everything about what they know, and they know that others know everything about what they know, and only working together can they find a better future. How does it feel to be the first captain of the Enterprise and know where we are now and where we need to go? Oh, that's an easy one. Uh... I'm still stuck on tortured by the Kardashians. <laughs> You're still, still stuck on me. Really? Um, uh, look, I, being the first captain, that's what sold me on being in this franchise and being a part of this world when it was pitched to me that way. Because I knew that I could never follow all of these folks and all of the other captains. So it was, a, it, it was an out for me to be first because I could just say, well, I can't do anything wrong because Bill won't know what I'm doing. <laughs> but science fiction has always fascinated me because of not just the science, but the nature of the optimism that goes with the science. So you take the science and the fiction and you create this optimism that somehow we're going to figure it out, that somehow we're going to continue on, that somehow we'll be here in the future, that somehow we'll take care of our planet, that somehow we'll realize that there aren't borders, that we're all one unit, unified species, regardless of religion and color and all the other things that we have thrown up in the middle of us and take care of each other and take care of the place we live on and this planet. And so... I just, I tend to be an optimistic person in real life, and uh, I have been and continue to be hopeful and, and positive that somehow, even when it's dark and some things are presented to us that are, seem completely impossible, that we as a species will figure it out. The scientists help us, and the dreamers help us, and what we do in our world and in our, as actors and, and what you do in your lives helps all of us. And that's, that's, the, that's the joy of getting to be an actor and then getting to be in a place like this, which is unbelievable to be here today, 50 years, 51 years after that guy at the end of the table started it all. Thank you. And, and, and yet, and yet, science fiction some of it is optimism. Some of it says 250 years from now, we'll have, through technology, we'll have figured it out. And yet, the time is coming, the time has come to figure it out. 
It's approaching the late hour. Yes. I had an interesting talk with David Suzuki yesterday. I was in Vancouver on a show. David Suzuki is a world-renowned ecologist. And the question I was asking him was, is it too late? Has the tipping point been reached? And this is what he said. Yes, it's possible that it's now too late to save a large part of humanity. But last year on the Fraser River in British Columbia, which is the, uh, the river that carries the most salmon in the world, was down to one-twentieth of the salmon run from when it was at its height. And he said to his wife, David said, has it happened? Is this now the end of the salmon? Does that mean the whole northwest of, of our country, America, Canada and America, is coming to an end because the salmon are a primary force and renewing life there? And it was possible. He went to bed, he said, that night when he learned that news. A year later, the salmon run was 20 times what it was 1 million and became 20 million the next year. Nobody knows why, nobody knows how, and instead of losing hope, that salmon run suggested that there are mysteries and things in nature that will surprise us. But that doesn't let us off the hook. We need to act and act fast. Well said, sir. Jerry, when you were playing Seven of Nine, it was always a question of whether you assimilate into the crew or you let your freak flag fly <laughs> as a Borg. And right now, there's so many things happening that we all could use a little height in our freak flag. I agree. That's how we're going to find each other. The freaks have to unite because the freaks are who are going to save the planet. And we're all freaks here. So let's Fly celebrate the our freaks. Flags. Fre <laughs> Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. Welcome back to Engage, Engage, the official Star Trek podcast, with your host, Jordan Hoffman. You are, after all, irrational. It's fun to listen to those guys, huh? <laughs> it's fun to listen to that. It's fun to listen to Jerry Ryan. Jerry Ryan really speaks eloquently about Seven of Nine, doesn't she? I think, I think she's just terrific. I think they're all terrific. And, um, and so far, uh, William Shatner is on good behavior. How about that? Uh, so uh, before we get into the next section, though, also, I mean, you know, he brought it up. Fuller brought up bringing Kirk back. It wasn't Shatner who brought up bringing Kirk back. Uh, I really do think that in season two, we're going to see characters that we know and love. I really do. I don't think we're going to do it in season one. But what do I know? If you really listen to Engage, the official Star Trek podcast, slow uh, closely... If you're close to it and really listen, you'll know that I said that we would never see a third movie with uh, Chris Pine and Zach Quinto. I said this was the last one, and they announced a fourth one. So 
What the hell do I know, right? All right. Well, listen, before we uh, we get back, I just want to take a break. They're about to start taking questions from the audience. And uh, there were a few things that got like uh, laughter that you kind of had to see. So I just want to explain that later uh, somebody laughs and, and uh, Jerry Ryan says, uh, inclusion, inclusion. It's because he's wearing a Star Wars T-shirt. So that was the gag. Um, also, I want you to listen closely because... Um, when Brian Fuller starts talking about uh, research for um, the new show for Discovery, he uh, mentions he only mentions one person that he spoke to, which is Dr. May Jemison, the um, astronaut who was on uh, did one episode of TNG. But if you listen to it closely, he kind of flubs and he says, "When I was researching the character, oh, I mean the show." So. My interpretation of that is, um, you know, he's talking so much about in- inclusion and the diversity of Star Trek. If I were a betting man, and I have no intel on this, I really don't. I mean, I, I really don't know. But um, before I said I had a hunch that I thought it was going to be a woman as the lead. Now I'm beginning to think that it would be a woman of color in the lead, as Dr. Mae Jemison is, um, which I think would be terrific. I mean, I also... You know, I don't think it's an absolute, and if it's not, I'm going to never watch the show. But I, I think it's time for that, and I think it would be great. And uh, the fact that he mentioned that and and almost said when I was researching the character made me think that. But you tell me. You listen to it, and then you interpret it your own way. We're going to know soon, right? The show's out in January. We're going to know soon. Um, but anyway, okay, so let's go back. Let's head back out to San Diego and uh, listen to the remaining 40 or so minutes um, Michael Dorn does not quote Sting anymore. There's only one quote of Sting in this, but let's listen to the rest of the recording from San Diego. I would like to open this up to questions from the audience. We've got this wonderful panel, representatives from all of the Star Trek series. You're here. We want to hear what you have to say. We want to hear your questions for this wonderful cast of captains and officers and Borg. And Borg. Borg doesn't need an S. Um, <laughs> hi. 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 Um, I just wanted to say, first of all, uh, thank you all for bringing such a beloved and progressive franchise to the world. Um, and my question is, um, what do you hope that this new uh, uh, series is, is going to bring to the viewers? Brian, I, I actually I would love to hear what everyone on the panel would like to see in a new Star Trek series. Well, <laughs> of course. <laughs> Not Spiner. <laughs> Who said that? <laughs> Who said that. Yes. Oh, sorry. I'll. Why I ought to? I don't know. Who's going to take it? Well, I personally hope, and I am fairly confident, knowing that it is in such very, very good hands. Well, what do you expect, Brian? What is your expectation? Why don't you tell us what the new series has? <laughs> well, I think what the new series has to do is now it has to remind the audience about the message of Star Trek. Which and is? It feels like Star Trek has a home on movies, and Star Trek has a home on television, and Star Trek has always been an intimate adventure, and it's the adventure of mankind, humankind, all of us. So really, if anything, I feel like what the new series has to do 
is continue to be progressive, continue to push boundaries, to continue telling stories in the legacy that Gene Roddenberry promised, which is giving us hope for a future. Are you, are you going to do anything new, anything different, the characters, the oh, yes. selling a story? <laughs> oh, yes, yes, we've got new things. We've got, we're telling stories in a, a brand new way. We're, we're not so much episodic. As, You're not doing episodic? No, there have been seven. What else is there? <laughs> well, there have been 762 episodes of Star Trek television, so we're going to be telling stories like a novel. Like a novel? Ooh. Chapters. Chapter by chapter by chapter. Like continuing? Yes. Growing? Absolutely. So if you miss one, you've missed everything? Well, you can read the synopsis on Wikipedia. Or since it's on CBS All Access, you're not going to miss anything because it's right there at your fingertips. That's right. Thank you for your question. Next question, please. Hey, guys. Um, you're all probably aware that us uh, Star Trek fans like to debate uh, amongst each other what our uh, favorite show is uh, among the Star Trek uh, universe or what the, who our favorite captain is. And I just want to take this opportunity to ask all of you up on stage who your favorite captain was. Is anyone legitimately going to not say Kirk at this point? <laughs> Come on. I can't imagine that either. <laughs> Your favorite captain. Well, based on what? Uh, there were some wonderful actors. I, I did a documentary called The Captains and examined, <laughs> <clears throat> and examined all the captains. I got to know everybody, uh, the, the, those guys, uh, those uh, men and women. And they were incredible individuals. I put you on a horse. <laughs> yeah, Once. On, he was on a horse. Once. Once. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, then I got you off the horse. <laughs> Quickly. But every single one of the individuals, the actors, are superb human beings with a whole history that was evocative. And examined that. As actors, they were extraordinary actors as well. The, the, not that the rest of the cast aren't, but those five people were the subject of that, of that documentary, and, and uh, I, I, I tell you, every single one of them, um, the... Um, I just imagine that as a bodice. It's ripping. Every single one of those captains would be hard to choose. They were so individual and, uh, as, as human beings and as actors. Okay, let's rephrase that question as, who is your second favorite captain? Because we all know our first favorite is Captain Kirk. Second favorite captain? There was a deadly silence in the audience there. Yeah, I know. There was and the panel. Everybody dodged that question pretty effectively. I didn't. I said, I said right away, she answered for me that he's my favorite captain. Second favorite captain. Second favorite cap captain? Uh, Picard. There we go. Really? Actually, actually, I'm, I'm I, done. I, I, <laughs> you know, everybody, a lot of people ask, you know, like, what's your favorite show? You know, because I did the two shows, what are you, blah, blah, blah. Anyway, um, but it was, it was funny when people ask about the captains because it was like uh, each one 
I thought was great in their time in terms of when I was watching the show, when I first uh, watched Star Trek, you know, you couldn't beat Kirk. You just couldn't beat him, you know. And in the movies, I mean, there was, there was this, this thing that they always had that was enjoyable and fun. And then the next generation and deep space and all that, it's sort of like each one has, has sort of maintained that area that he's great in. And it's really, I don't, I don't like to compare because it's just apples and oranges in terms of what they've done, you know. Uh, our show was, you know, the show that Gene Roddenberry, he created that show. And then, you know, Rick Berman and the other guys did the other shows and they had their own uh, idea about captains. And it just, you know, it makes it a difficult question to say, for me at least, you know, which one is, I mean, Kirk, I mean, guy. <laughs> I mean, he, he, I was watching the, the, the original and the next generation just, and to watch him back to back is so different. Kirk would go down to a planet and he'd start punching people out. You know? First thing, what you? Don't, isn't that right? I mean, don't, <laughs> don't you isn't, punch, isn't that what you're supposed to do? You know? And Picard would sit in his chair and says, Well, what do you think, Mr. Data? You do it better. Oh, I don't know if I do it better. Oh, wow. <laughs> wow. I was very fond of Kirk. <laughs> I, but of course, I liked myself best. <laughs> the wonderful thing about all the captains is that everyone came from a different place emotionally we had captain kirk who was the cowboy and we had picard who was the diplomat and we had cisco who was the family man trying to bring everyone together in a very disharmonious place and then we had captain janeway who was rogue alone on the other side of the galaxy creating her own rules as she went and then before them all we had captain archer who made the path <laughs> next question please First of all, Mr. Moderator, that was very nicely stated. Thank you. You're welcome. I love all the shows. I love all the captains. But my I have a soft spot for Kate Mulgrew. She was my captain. <laughs> my very first fandom is Star Trek, and you never forget your first captain. I've been known to have very passionate discussions about my love for the original series. Mm. Um, Mr. Shatner, Sounds I was... erotic, actually. <laughs> I was going to help you plug the captains as well, so I'm glad you brought plug it up. Plug the captains. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you may do with me what you will, I Mr. Shatner. <laughs> Under eight. But I think you're the active member if you're plugging the captain. <laughs> oh. I'm, I'm not... Uh, my question for Mr. Shatner Thank is... Thank God, actually. <laughs> uh, when you did the, the captains, what new information did you learn about the captains that you didn't know before? Well, essentially everything, because uh, I didn't know anybody very well. I'd met uh, the different casts. I must admit to my, <coughs> to my utter shame that I've never, never really seen the show. Um, 
I hardly have seen any of mine, actually, but that was due to the fact that I don't like to look at myself. And, and there's a monitor right here that I'm staring at, like, over there, and, then, and I can't stand it. Um, so I don't look at myself at all, as much as, as little as possible. And for some reason, I never got to see uh, the other Star Treks. So what I met was, was a variety of human beings who came up uh, in, in this very difficult uh, area of work, this actors and television, stage and movies, and they're all experienced people who struggled so many years and, and uh, with great difficulty and then devoting their lives and to the, to the, the deference of other parts of their lives. Uh, every single one of them uh, lost things that most people love and want because of the necessary time necessary to devote to doing the leading role in a series. Uh, everybody in a series does that, uh, 14, 15, 16 hours a day, uh, five days a week, and then the weekend is filled with other obligations devoted to the show. So families go by and marriages disappear and, and uh, uh, your attention is on the family of, of the series. And that requires great sacrifice. And so here are these wonderful actors, these wonderful complex human beings that sacrificed so much for their, for the, that, for the playing the part of the captain. It's diverse. I guess I have to refer you to see the, the documentary. Wait, you're saying there was a show before ours? <laughs> Tough audience, Brett. Tough audience. No kidding. Is that Guinan at the microphone? Nice yes. look. Fantastic. Yeah. Look at that costume. That is amazing. Thank you. Uh, my question is for everyone, and um, in particular, maybe Brian, about the new series. Um, one thing that I, I love about Star Trek and Siphon in, in general is that it holds up a mirror to society, and it helps us look at society in a critical way and also a hopeful way, thinking maybe we can get here. Yes. And in this current scary world that we're living in, um, how do you see the new series and just sci-fi in general, the future of sci-fi, being able to like bring hope and help comfort people in these crazy times we're living in? Well, the, one of the, the most exciting things for me in doing research for the, the new character of the new series was my conversations with Dr. Mae Jameson and talking about what inspired her about the original series and, and hearing how she saw Uhura on the, de on the bridge and how that made her want to join NASA. And one of the most beautiful things about Star Trek is that you have people who see this show and they want to be scientists. They want to get into space. They want to make it to the future in one piece. And I think that is incredibly beautiful because we do, we do have to celebrate a progression of our species because right now it feels as though we, we need a little help. And there's nothing like the guiding light that Gene Roddenberry hung in the sky. Sure. <laughs> Hi. Uh, so the technology in Star Trek is... <laughs> uh, I can like both. What? 
Oh. We, yeah, What's that's a very good so point. <laughs> that's a very we can like both. We can hey, like both a lot. Oh, Star Wars inclusion. What are we talking about? Gene's vision, exactly. That's right. So the technology in Star Trek has always been amazing, and it's amazing how it influences real-world technology. So for everyone on the uh, panel, what's your favorite Star Trek technology? Excuse me, I have to say something. Yeah, please. Uh, technology. Technology. Um, on our show, I'll just speak about our show. Um, we had which I, one? You were in two. I'm sorry. Uh, Next generation. Um, we had iPads mm-hmm. on the show, and before anybody, I don't know if anybody thought about that or before, but it was. We had iPads. We did well, didn't everything. Steve Jobs say that that's what it was modeled on? The pad from Star Trek? I, I, I think he said that, didn't he? Right. That, that it was said? specifically what it was modeled after. Yeah, it, and that, so. that to me is the most amazing thing, is, is the exact same thing. And it's yeah. not that long ago. <laughs> I mean, you know, you're talking about okay. when our show started and when the iPads came yeah. out, uh, where technology has just driven, and especially with this boom of technology, with all the scientists and all the people that are in computers mm-hmm. and stuff like that, it's just been crazy. I mean... You have watches that you make yeah. calls on, you know? And everybody here is going, yeah, so... I want a transporter. <laughs> Where's the damn transporters? Oh. God, can't we get that going? Yeah. Those well, the interesting great. thing about transporters is you get on the transporter pad, you're obliterated, you die, and then a copy of you is placed on the other side. Unless I'm you're my dog kidding. and you die. Didn't think about it that way. Okay. That doesn't happen. That doesn't happen. I know. You're like, uh, never mind. <laughs> I think, I think uh, for me, uh, the communicator, if somebody would just invent uh, like uh, a hand device think, where you yeah. could telephone or, or something like that. Yeah. You know, is, you could carry, you could communicate with could you people. Imagine? You could imagine? Cool. If somebody would just, you know, it's like on the tip. Yeah. That invention should be made. You could text. You yeah. can text. What's text? <laughs> I, like, uh, I like the idea of the replicator. Um, particularly where food is concerned. Because, uh, you know, I, I like to think of the replicator as, as a, a metaphor in a way for what is possible. Because we, we, we have plenty of food. Um, there's food for everybody. We just can't figure out a way to get it to them, I think. I think that's the big problem. But, uh, you know, there's so many charities and so many um, organizations that require help, financial help. And, uh, and I understand that because things like disease and the planet uh, are mysteries. How do, we, how do we fix these things? We don't know. So they need a lot of... of um, food. Financing. Oh. But, um, but food seems easy. We have food. I, I don't understand how there can be, certainly not in this country, a single hungry person. It doesn't make any sense. No. It makes no sense in America has a very high uh, child uh, rate where they're not getting their food. Right. And that seems mind-boggling. So if everyone had a replicator, um, that would be solved. Scott? Well, we, had, we didn't have any fancy stuff, um, but we did have this glow-in-the-dark blue gel that we could rub on each other and decontaminate. 
And I was thinking, I was struck by that if everybody in the world had that, we could just de- go around rubbing gel on each other and decontaminating each other. We're going to get along. Be a happy, better. happy, happy place. So. And, and captains would be getting plugged regularly. Amen. Is that too old for under, ATM under? <laughs> Next question, please. Hey. Hello. Long time no see to some of you. Um, to others, I have to say, Shatner, it's an honor to have you here. Throw up you as well. Thank you so much. Yeah. Thank you. Okay, so I'm a big Star Trek fan myself. Uh, I grew up on it. DS9, my favorite. Cardassians rock and Klingons. Uh, my question is to you guys, favorite species? And maybe characterize who was your favorite, I don't know. <laughs> representative of that species? <laughs> who's your favorite species and who's your favorite representative of that species? Yeah. Is that the question? Cardassians, uh, Ducat. Yes. Scott? Oh, those blue guys with the antennas. I like those guys a lot. <laughs> and Dorians. Dorians. That's yeah. correct. They were pretty cute. Correct. You win. I like the Borg. I mean, you know, completely unbiased, of course, but I mean, they were badass. Come on, they really were. And they understood togetherness. They were tough. And what? And they understood togetherness. There you go, see? That's right. They were scary. Well, they were pretty scary, but they were pretty damn cool. I gotta be honest. Michael? Uh, what, oh, um, I, I would, Scott, and Dorians. <clears throat> I thought they were pretty cool. Very popular group. Very popular Yeah. Group. Uh, I like the android. <laughs> uh, it's not a species. It's not a species? I think one was enough, right? <laughs> uh, uh, the Tribbles. Uh, uh, <laughs> they, you know, the lovely, charming, and there's fun, and, uh, but it reminds you of overgrowing and, and uh, uh, the need to, to replenish and then... You know, it reminds us of the dangers of the world. If we had a triple overpopulation, that could solve our uh, worldwide hunger problem. That's true. That's true. That's true. Good for us. Next question, please. Hello. Uh, I do have to say, my favorite is the Ferengis. Come on, you got to give it up to the Ferengis. Rules of acquisition. Unlocks for everybody. Ferengis. It's a uh, great name, too, isn't it? Ferengi. Course, I wonder Ferengi. if anybody names their child Ferengi. Come here, Ferengi. <laughs> but they are real Ferengis. They exist right now on our planet. They're, he they needs do. his replicators. <laughs> uh, my, thank you guys for being here. But my question is uh, forward to William Shatner. Hello, Shatner. Hello. Um, the one thing that comes to mind is in the 60s, uh, you, there was an episode called Plato's Stepchild. It was a big deal because you and Aurora had the first, or at least one of the few, to have an interracial kiss on yeah. TV. Yeah. Now, I've heard her story, but I'm wondering from your side, what was going through your mind? Since during this time, in the 60s, it was considered a big deal. Warm, to be- moist lips. <laughs> Slowly coming towards me. You know what I mean, Jerry? And uh, it was wonderful. Are you kidding me? Beautiful woman. Yeah, that was going. That was what was going through my mind. And, 
What a great milestone in Star Trek history to be knocking down barriers. Star Trek is a very progressive show, and it was has so many of those moments to stand by, so many issues that it, it covered, and it was not doing so in a friendly environment. So hats off to Gene Roddenberry for fighting the good fight. Yeah. Yeah. Next question, please. Hi. Uh, first, Bill, your has-been album was phenomenal. Thank you. Thank you very much. Uh, my question's for Michael and Jerry. Well, um, that's great. <laughs> He's across the conversation. My husband's album was, was wonderful, but your next question. No, I'm, I, I, I'm, good, I'm glad know. with the plug. The plug is good. Michael and Jerry, what challenges did you find joining a series already in progress? Good question. Um, it wasn't the first series that I had joined in progress, so that um, my, my very first series was a, another show called Dark Skies. It was a science fiction show as well, but it only ran one season, but I also joined that one kind of midway through. Um, and I was an army brat growing up, so I was always the new kid because we always moved around. So I've kind of, um, I was kind of used to it by that point. It's not easy to be the new kid necessarily, but um, for the most part, it was a very welcoming group. And um, you just, you have to sort of quickly get the lay of the land and, and what fits in with the new group of people wherever you are, if it's a new student at school or if it's the new cast and you're the new cast member. Um, but it's tough. I mean, it was, it, it was not always easy. It was not always smooth. And it was compounded, I think, by the fact that I was replacing a character. They were writing a character out who had been there since the beginning and adding my character in. And it was also a new character. These writers had been writing for the past you know, three seasons for the same, I think, seven people or however many of us there were. And so they were all salivating to have somebody new and some new character and new stories that they could draw on. And it was a very rich character because she wasn't even starting out human, so there was a lot of growth potential. And so a lot of the attention shifted in the show when my character was added. And um, a lot of the scripts centered around Seven. If it wasn't the A storyline, it was a big B storyline. Um, and that's not easy for actors who have been there 16, 17, 18 hours a day for the last three years every day. And um, so it's hard. Um, you're, you're, you're put into a situation where it, it's, it's going to ruffle somebody's feathers and it's going to hurt somebody's feelings and somebody's going to feel frustrated. And fortunately, um, the writers were great about building Seven's relationships with the other characters, and it ended up being very rich for a lot of the characters. The Doctors and Seven's relationship, I think, was wonderful. Um, I agree. Seven and Janeway's relationship was a wonderful adversarial at times, mother-daughter at times. Um, they just became very rich opportunities story-wise for other characters as well, which is good. But, um, but yeah, it's not always easy being the new kid. But how was yours? <laughs> <laughs> uh, it was... Um... It was, it was really not that difficult because I knew that all, like, this exact same thing Jerry's talking about, these things could exist where people could resent the fact that you're there. Um, I mean, I've seen it on other shows, not, not Star Trek, but other shows I've been on where a character has come in and, and they, they weren't treated well. But um, it was two things for me. It was definitely they had me there for a reason. And... Uh, all I was concerned about was really doing the best job that I could do. And 
I really didn't think a lot about the rest of it. Uh, I didn't let that come into anything. I just came in, you know, I was there, you know, on time. I did, you know, the work. And, and I think it became uh, a lot easier because, and in fact, I talked to Nana Visitor just recently, and they all, she said pretty candidly, that they all were like a little put off by the whole thing. But uh, when they realized that it wasn't going to be the Michael Dorn show, you know, that I was basically part of the crew, uh, uh, they lightened up a little bit. And also, on Next Generation, uh, we were serious about the work, but between takes, uh, we were out of control. There was a lot of <laughs> laughter, there was a lot of fun, there was a lot of, you know... Um, singing. A lot of singing. Uh, There's a lot of uh, imitations of, of actors uh, that Brent and I were... Just and in fact, and would you would you do dueling? No, we're not going to do no. that. Not, <laughs> no, because you know what? You they have will, to be. You have to have the a same yeah. You have to have a history. You have to know old Hollywood to get these because we've done it before. And people look at us like, "Who's Gregory Peck?" Right. All right, wait a minute. You people know who Gregory Peck minute, is. Who's Gregory you? Peck? You know Gregory Peck? I would love to hear a Gregory. All right, here, here you are, ladies and gentlemen, dueling Gregory Peck. I don't think so. That was 10 people. 10 people. I was just going to say, they're trying to sound loud to overpower the 90% of the audience. But but anyway, but but I... um, I think you're not going to do it. We're not going to do that. Okay. (laughs) But we... um, But the thing was that when I went to... When I went to uh, Deep Space, it was a very serious show. And I was... You know what happened to Ted Cruz? Huh? You know what happened to Ted Cruz? The... You're getting awed off the stage, you know. Tough crowd, man. Whoa, hey, hey. Where's all this accepting and, you know, and all that stuff, guys? Some no means no, everybody. No but anyway, means no. Back to the question. Uh, it was, it was um, after about six months, it got really easy and everybody was very accepting and uh, I had a great time and uh, it was, um, the transition wasn't that difficult. Thank you. Good question. Thank you. Next question, please. Hello. Hello. Um, I really love the relationship between Spot the Cat and Data and I was wondering what Data might have learned from Spot the Cat that he could not have learned from his human comrades. Well, how to lick his paws, uh, which I feel, excuse me. Uh, no, actually, and I've said this before, uh, I, I love cats. Uh, I really do. I think they're just adorable creatures. And I, I, I just did a PSA for the state of New York uh, asking them to um, pass legislation to stop removing claws from cats because it's... An absurd thing to do. Um, and I don't know if, I, if, if Data learned this from Spot, but I learned from the cats I worked with that they are among the worst actors in the, in the universe. Uh, stay away from them if you're on stage or in a film with them because they don't know what they're doing. Um, and the writers took great joy in writing spot impossible things to do. Um, and and uh, only once 
in the entire experience did Spot deliver on the first take. And, <laughs> and that's when it said, data feeds Spot tuna in a can. And first take, yeah, right there. But that was it. So I, I, I don't know. You'll have to ask data that question. <laughs> on the subject of kindness to animals, there are a lot of cats and dogs out there who need homes, so if you're inclined at all, go adopt one. They need love, and you need love, too. Get it from an animal. They'll return it. That's right. Next question, please. Hi. Um, my question's for Brent Spiner. Um, <laughs> the character of Data was always really important to me growing up, and I really related to him. Mm -hmm. um, so I just wanted to know what inspiration you drew upon to portray the character. Uh, you know, really, because uh, there wasn't really a precedent for how to play an android, um, I, 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 I just drew upon imagination. There was no... Uh, but, but I felt very confident that it would be fine, whatever I came up with, because it's very difficult to say, oh, well, an android wouldn't do that, because we don't know what an android would do. Um, but... Uh, I don't know, the character, uh, I, I, I was more inspired by the audience and the, peop the viewers. Uh, that's where I drew my inspiration from because I feel like it was a symbiotic uh, relationship that, that the audience and I had uh, in, in determining who Data was and what was really going on with them. Uh, Data could say again and again and again, I have no feeling, and the audience would paint the feeling on, them, on him themselves. So I, I really felt kind of I could do anything, and the audience would help me along. You know, I have to say that uh, uh, there, was, there was one thing, uh, uh, one of my best favorite episodes, has nothing to do with my character, was where Data builds the child. Mm -hmm. yeah. And at the end of the offspring, and at the end of it, um, the child dies, you know, or, you know, ceases to exist or whatever the case, and he comes back on the bridge, and they all say, are you all right? And he says, yes, and he goes back to his chair, and he sits, and for some reason, I don't know about the audience, but for me, it was like you were expecting something, and he gave you nothing. And it was probably the most powerful thing that, I've, that Data's ever done for me, or the character, because it was like, it was as an audience, you know, you kind of expect a lot of stuff, and Brent was just like, nothing. And it was, a, it was a great moment. Why, thank you, Michael. That's okay. You've never said that to me before. <laughs> that is our last question, but I would like to do something here today. I would like everybody in this room to reach out to the person next to them and take their hand. Everybody hold hands. Take a moment. Everyone in the room, please take hands with the person next to you. And as we chart a path to the 23rd century, let's make a promise to everybody in this room, look at each other and make a promise to leave this room with love, leave this room with hope, leave this room taking responsibility to craft a path to the future that Gene Roddenberry imagined. Yes. Promise. All right. Promise. Promise.
I would like to have a quick moment of silence for Leonard Nimoy, for Anton Yelchin, for everyone who has contributed to Star Trek in a magnificent way and has moved on to the great beyond. A moment of silence, please. Thank you all. Thank you for coming. Welcome to Play It, a new podcast network featuring radio and TV personalities talking business, sports, tech, entertainment, and more. Play it at play.it. This is Engage. Engage. The official Star Trek podcast. Energize. All right, how about that? So that's our special edition, special episode, straight out of San Diego, a bonus episode here of Engage, the official Star Trek podcast. Thank you to uh, the uh, the many Bothans who died to bring us this tape. Uh, thank you to uh, to Brian Fuller for um, for hosting the panel and and for all the guests. And I don't know about you, but I'm really I'm just so overjoyed. He seems to be the guy. Who, who really just gets it. I mean, uh, just like, you know, boom, Scott Packett says, ah, those blue guys with the antenna. Oh, you mean the Endorians? Like, he's just on it. You know, he knows. Uh, somebody says Ferengis. He's like, oh, Umox, yeah. I mean, this guy is a super fan. He's also a very talented writer and producer, but he's also a hardcore fan. And uh, that is uh, something different, something we need. Um, I am on record as being a fan of J.J. Abrams's uh, films, certainly the first one, and even now after seeing it again, I'm sort of back on the Star Trek Into Darkness train, but J.J. Abrams makes no, uh, does not hide for a moment that he really wasn't a Star Trek fan before he got the gig, as it were. Uh, but now let's give the keys to somebody who is a hardcore fan and see what he can do with it. So it's pretty darn exciting uh upcoming we're going to be releasing this week uh, uh, another uh, episode of engage we have a had a guest we brought him in already and uh brian our engineer is taping it together we met with uh, dean pariso the director of my favorite star trek movie that isn't a star trek movie galaxy quest and then after that we're going out to vegas we're going out to vegas please if you're going to be in vegas and you want to meet me um, <laughs> and be nice if you do send me a note hit me over twitter jay hoffman jay hoffman at twitter or, or use the hashtag engage pod hashtag engage pod you can hit me over facebook uh we are uh on facebook slash engage the official star trek podcast and um i'm easy to find on email so uh let's hang out i'm bringing the mobile kit i'm bringing the mobile emitter out to vegas and i'm going to be recording a lot with fans I'm probably going to be recording a lot with uh, the stars, but I want to meet the fans just as much. And uh, we are—you're going to see my beautiful mug also uh, on at least two or three panels. I'll be hosting the um, 
Cha cha cha. The uh, Star Trek. Um, what are they called? Sorry, it's very late. It's been a very long day. I'm very tired. Um, we're going to be hosting the uh, One Trek Mind panels. Yeah, we call them One Trek Mind. We've been doing it for years. It's really fun. It's in the second stage. So if there's somebody really cool in the first stage that you haven't seen before, go to that. Okay. But if it's somebody you've seen before or somebody you're not that interested in, um, I think we're doing it Friday morning and Saturday morning at like nine o'clock ish, nine, nine thirty, ten, something like that. Uh, the One Trek Mine live panels, we do these live uh, lists. And this year we're doing two biggies because it's the 50th anniversary. We're doing, um, it's real simple, 10 best, 10 worst of all of Trek, all of it. TOS through Enterprise, including the animated series, everything. So what's the best going to be? Is it going to be sitting on the edge of forever? Probably, but maybe not. If you can make an argument not... I want to hear it. And I don't know what those other nine are going to be. What's the worst going to be? Is it going to be that awful Clips episode from TNG? Is it going to be Threshold? Is it going to be And the Children Shall Lead? It's sure as hell not going to be Spock's brain. Because Spock's brain kind of rules. Kind of rules. I'm not saying it's good. I'm just saying it's entertaining. And uh, and that's what I'm going to say about... Uh, Engage the official Star Trek podcast. Kind of entertaining. Today, special edition. Thanks again for listening. Leave us a uh, comment on iTunes. If you like the show, rate us. Give us five stars. Give us ten stars. And leave a, um, a uh, how do you say, what is it when you leave a comment? A comment. Leave a comment on iTunes because um, if people like the show, they like it and then they go on with their lives. If people have a bug up their rear end and don't like the show, they go and leave a comment. So we need the silent majority <laughs> to go and leave some nice comments on iTunes, if you care to. If you don't want to, that's fine. I mean, I, I don't leave comments on shows that I like either. Who has time for that? But I'm asking you to do it. All right. Thanks again, and we'll see you in a couple days with Dean Pariso. This episode is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. Whether you love true crime or comedy, celebrity interviews or news, you call the shots on what's in your podcast queue. And guess what? Now you can call them on your auto insurance too with the Name Your Price tool from Progressive. It works just the way it sounds. You tell Progressive how much you want to pay for car insurance and they'll show you coverage options that fit your budget. Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.